Good morning. Happy Father's Day, dads. Woo. I'm glad there are people in the room that can go, woo. I know you probably feel funky because we're live, but live does not mean you can't be normal. So feel free to be normal because folks watching at home will probably feel not normal if we're not normal. So just be normal and that will be absolutely okay. Father's Day 2020. Um, Who knew last Father's Day we would be here now, right? But the truth of fatherhood is not changed by our current circumstances. So today we're going to be in John chapter 5 and John chapter 6. And we're going to be looking at the relationship of God the Father to God the Son as the image we're created in and the example we are to imitate. Being a dad is hard. I remember the trash I used to talk about being a father as I carried a young Gabriel Jolly around Fort Worth, Texas in his baby Bjorn as a little fella. I'm happy to report to you that I've made many mistakes and the trash I talked was merely that, trash. Learned many things from my many errors as a dad. I try, I make it my aim to repent quickly if I'm aware And when I become aware of the fool I've made of myself, I try to repent quickly and then look to God as the father and the model example to help me to continually course correct and get on point. And and that may be something you hear this morning. Being a dad is less about being right and more about continual course correction from our mistakes. Our big idea this morning in looking at Father's Day is we want to take a look, we want to gaze on God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son as our example of father-daughter, father-son relationships. That's where we want to look. We want to look there as our prime example. We want to start in Hebrews 1, 1 1-3. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want to. You can hold your place in John 5. I'll read Hebrews 1, 1 1-3 for you. Because it launches us into this gaze that we want to take this morning. We want to lift our eyes up and see God the Father as our example. And here's what the writer of Hebrews says to help launch us there. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he also created the world. He, the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Glory. In Jesus, we learn what God is like in all of his revealed glory. In Jesus, we learn who God is in all of His glory. So the writer of Hebrews tells us here, God has revealed Himself by the Son, by this Son and this Father-Son relationship. By looking and gazing on that, we get the perfect example of Father and Father-Child relationship. John 1.14 begins it like this. And by the way, John is totally unique in all four Gospels. The majority of John's content is totally unique to John, not following Matthew, Mark, or Luke. 
This John's ministry in the Gentile world addressing other spiritual issues. He puts on display this glorious father-son relationship like no other gospel does. And it's woven all through the gospel of John. So I encourage you to go really plow through the gospel of John and unpack more than we're going to be able to do here this morning. It'll be a great study for you in the coming week and coming months. But John 1.14 says this, And the Word became flesh, Jesus, the eternal Word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as from the, or as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus displays God's glory among many ways that He puts it on display in this Father-Son inter-Trinitarian relationship. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw this glory. What glory? Glory in the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we see in Jesus' coming, the glory of God as Father, and Jesus as Son put on display right there for our eyes to see. And this is an inner-Trinitarian piece of glory. And when we talk about inner Trinitarian glory, it's holy ground because we're gazing upon God. When God revealed himself to Moses at that bush that did not burn up but was on fire, God said, Moses, you are treading in a holy place. Take off your shoes. When we get into these places, we're gazing on the glory of God. It's a holy and transformative moment. And so I pray this morning that as we gaze upon the Father and the Son, we will be transformed as dads. This father-son relationship is the image that we bear as parents and children. Daddy-daughter, daddy-son is the image we bear. So, it's totally normal for this relationship to feel right and to work right. It's totally normal for little ones to want to be with and delight in and parents to delight in. It's also why things can be so broken and so bad when it is wrong. This then, father-son, is the model we want to strive to reproduce. I want to say this as a little bit of a negative as opposed to just being completely positive. Dads, what we don't need is the famous coach book to look at as our example of daddies. Nothing wrong with a famous coach that's a good dad. And they write great books and we ought to read them. But that's not where we start as our prime example of being a father. If we want to see good fathering, let's not look to the famous coach in the book he wrote about being a dad. Let's take a look to God in his manual and gaze on God the Father and God the Son. And that transformative moment, he will teach us what it's like and what to do. It really is in the manual. And side note, so that we're robustly Trinitarian. It is the Holy Spirit's mission to highlight this relationship and be hidden in it. So as we seek to gaze on the glory of God in this father-son relationship that he puts on display to show us glory, we find Holy Spirit dwelling in, bringing order and right in the middle of it. So the Gospel of John, what does the Bible teach us? about God the Father and God the Son that we see that should be played out and put on display in the father-daughter, father-son relationship. We're going to start in John five seventeen, and really we're going to look at verse 17, verse 19, verse 20, verse 30, and then go to John 6, 
verse 26 to 27 and draw out a few observations. And I want to try to spend the meat of our time in making some application to those things. So let me read John 5, 17. And I'm kind of just going to do a running commentary on this passage. So hang with me for just, just a moment. Start in John 5, 17. But Jesus answered them. All right, Jesus has healed on the Sabbath, which he always got in trouble for because he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He created the Sabbath. He gave us the Sabbath to put on display his glory and his holiness. So he's been doing good on the Sabbath. He's being accused of breaking law. They've missed the intent of the law. Love God, love neighbor as yourself and turned it into this vehicle by which you beat people up. And so Jesus has been healing on the Sabbath. In verse 17, Jesus answered them, My father... Jesus says, my father, speaking of God, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, my father is working until now, and I am working. So the father is on mission. The father is doing something. The father is on a task. In other words, all of created order, we just finished studying Genesis, right? All of created order has been created by God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit with a mission in mind. And God has launched all of created order to accomplish a purpose. And Jesus has made that clear all the way through the book of Genesis as we've studied it. And Jesus comes here and he says to them, the father's working and I'm working. The father is on mission and Jesus, the son in this father son relationship imitates that and says, I am working also. Why is the son working? Because the father's working. Why is the son on mission? Because the father is on mission. Father's working. He has a mission. And the Son is working in tandem with Him. And they are moving forward on mission together. Verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him. Because not only was He breaking the Sabbath. But was even calling God His own Father. Making Himself equal with God. Verse 19. So Jesus said to them. Truly, truly, I say to you. This is huge. Check this out. The Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Jesus isn't going off on His own theme. Jesus isn't going off on His own tangent. He didn't get to Cana, turn the water into wine, and go, Wow, I've got some power. Let's see if we can franchise this and kind of go our own way. No, 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 no. Jesus, the Creator of all things... In father-son relationship with God the Father, Holy Spirit putting this on display is not operating on his own initiative or his own authority. He's operating underneath the authority of the Father and working in tandem with the Father. And whatever the Father does, the Son does. So the Son operates under the authority of the Father. That's beautiful. Verse 20. For the Father loves the Son. So, verse 19, Jesus operates under the authority of the Father. And verse 20 says, why? We start with this purpose clause. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He's doing. Why does the Son submit to the Father? Because the Father loves Him so much and shows Him everything. There's nothing hidden from the Son. The Son knows everything. 
And he loves the Father because the Father loves the Son. So this inner Trinitarian love is happening. And this inner Trinitarian revealing of purpose. So that inside the very person of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, they are moving in tandem on a mission. And the Father loves the Son. And the Son submits to the Father and loves Him. And in love, they are moving forward. Which is why John, later in 1 John, is going to spend chapter 3, 4, and 5 talking about God is love. Why is, now, love is not God. That's untrue. But God is love. Why is God love? Because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit love each other so much that they emanate love. Which is why Jesus taught us that this is how you fulfill the law. Is love like God loves. Right? And so the Son and the Father are loving one another well. And the Father's holding nothing back from the Son And even though, now check this out, even though right now Jesus the Son is not in His pre-existent glory, but in this state of taking on flesh and putting on display in His earthly life the glory of Father, Son, and Spirit, even though they are separated like that, there is no separation and mission and purpose and intent and relational connection. Father loves the Son, Son loves the Father, and together, even though in this part of the mission are moving together in tandem going forward. And there's so much there. I may make a video for you tomorrow to unpack that a little bit. Why as Christians, we, we kind of look past this idea in the atonement of the cross of abandonment, theory of atonement. In Psalm 22, Jesus isn't making a theological statement about the absence of the Father at the cross. In fact, he's quoting Psalm 22 that he inspired David to write, putting on display that the Father's not absent, but the Father's present, making this happen right now, running history. So that as you look at the cross and you look at Psalm 22, You see Psalm 22 fulfilled at the cross and Jesus comes to the end of the psalm and says, we've done it. Accomplished. (laughs) Right? And so the Father and the Son are not separated. They're on mission. And this particular part of the mission has Jesus taking on flesh outside of his pre-existent glory. And they're loving each other well right now. And the Bible says, fathers, that's what you are. Sons and daughters, that's what you are. Isn't that beautiful? In John 5.30... Listen to this. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus, who's the eternal creator God, listens to the Father and takes instruction from the Father. He's totally capable. And yet, in glorious inner Trinitarian love, he listens to the Father, and He only operates inside the authority of the Father. Then John chapter 6, verse 26 and 27, inside this larger dialogue that's taking place around Jesus feeding the 5,000 and them coming after Him because He fed them bread, and He's going to let them know, listen, you came after me because you got bread to eat, but I need you to know that there's more bread that you need, and it's not bread that goes away and you get hungry again. It's the bread of life. And he's going to tell them, I'm the bread of life, so you're going to have to consume me. You've got to have me. And they go, no. And Peter, Jesus looks at Peter and says, uh, you want to leave too? And Peter goes, no, where else am I going to go? You have the words of life, right? And so this is what's happening in John chapter 6. 
verse 26 and 27, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Don't come... Don't come after Jesus just because of what he can give you. Come after him because he's worthy. He's worthy. He's the bread of life. And whatever you get out of that is is a footnote to the glory revealed in the Son of God. You came after me because you ate bread. Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes. Don't, Don't strive for that like that's all there is. And oh... How in the flesh I live as though that were the chief pursuit. Jesus said, don't don't work for that. But work for the food that endures to eternal life. He's going to tell them later, he's that food. That's, That's what you want. You want Jesus for Jesus' sake and Jesus' sake alone. And then he says this, which the Son of Man will give you. How's he going to give it to him? Through the cross and through his burial and his resurrection. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. How is it that Jesus is effectively going to give himself as the bread that really feeds the soul? He's going to do it because God the Father has put his seal on him. God the Father has placed his pleasure on the Son. You see this clearly communicated at Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3.17. Where Jesus is coming for his baptism... And the Father speaks out of heaven and says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. He was pleased with him. He said, That's my boy. Equal with me. Submissive to me. God with me. Holy Spirit bearing witness. This beautiful mystery of the Trinitarian nature of God. And the Father puts his seal on him. And by God putting his seal of approval on him, Jesus' authority is highlighted. And he is lifted up. And the Father is put on display as well. And Jesus says so much in John 17, 1, in his high priestly prayer where he says, Father, the hours come. Glorify the Son. The Son may glorify you. The Father's put his seal on Jesus, his authority and his approval, his effectiveness. So Jesus' ministry is effectiveness. His death, burial, and resurrection, his ascension is effective because God's seal is on him. And Jesus turns that around and says, Father, it's for your glory. So this love relationship between God and Father is put on display. And his seal of approval sits on the Son. Now dads, what in the world are we to do with that? Well, I've got a few applications for us. And by the way, lest you think we need to spend more time on that, those are just a few examples in the Gospel of John. That's not even the whole of the Gospel of John. This will be a lifelong study of looking up and gazing on the Father and the Son and learning to imitate that in our father-daughter, father-son relationships. And I want to say to you, it will be a soul-crushing journey. Not in the sense of badness, but in the sense of you will see how much sin has hurt us. It is the challenge of a lifetime to look at my behavior and look at God the Father and see how far off I often am. But we got an application for that, so I want you to hang on. If you're feeling a little heavy, hang tight. Jesus died to cover that, and he covered it well. So we're going to get there. Ready? Here we go. Here's some applications. And by the way, this isn't just to dads. Uh, Youth, middle school, high school, little ones, there's application for you here as well because this father-son relationship, father-daughter relationship that Jesus 
the Son and God the Father put on display for us has implications on all of us. So I want all of us to tune into these. Here we go. Parents and children, first application. This is for all of us. Believe that the cultural intoxication of the expectation that students are just going to rebel against good parental oversight is demonic. Therefore, students run from it. And parents don't expect it to be a reality. Rebellion's source is in the garden by the enemy. Therefore, any image-bearing family where rebellion is the case is fueled by none other than Satan. Listen carefully. We have a cultural expectation that is unique to the West. You travel this world, you will discover not every teenager in every country in the world expects rebellion nor lives that way. Seen it with my own eyes. There are other places in the world where you become a teenager and you become a man or a woman and you're responsible and you have a job and you feed your family and they don't rebel. They don't play Xbox. There's nothing wrong with Xbox. Xbox is fun. And you may be a Fortnite or whatever you happen to be. What? I, I don't care. That's not my point. Do whatever. But here's my point. They are fully functional, non-rebelling children who love their parents. Isn't that crazy? And that helped me to see, oh my goodness, this is possible. And, and why is it possible? Because it's expected. And even better, ready, they're not Christians. So I started thinking to myself, could it just be that the culture has set an example for us that we just assume is normal parental and student life? Yeah, they have. And its imitation is from the garden, from the snake. Not the eternal Son of God. The example we just read shows that Jesus fully submitted to the Father's way and they were on mission in love together. And that's the image we bear. Therefore, if we have Holy Spirit, how much more possible, students, is it to submit to good parental oversight and follow it? Totally possible. If non-Christians can do it, who are made the image of God, who don't have the Spirit, how much more those who have the Holy Spirit and bear the image of God do it? So students, don't expect you're going to enter teenagehood and it's just going to be a time of rebellion. My parents just got to put up with it. That's not true. Parents, don't let it happen. Crush them if you have to. Jolly boys. Right? Sometimes, sometimes the rule of the kingdom comes because you just set the rule of the kingdom. Right? So believe that this image we're created in, this beautiful father-daughter, father-son relationship that is to imitate God the Father and God the Son should transcend any cultural, biological expectations that we've just assumed is law. Children resist the temptation to buck good parental oversight. Fight it. Jesus never operated outside the Father's will. He submitted to the Father's way and on mission together pursued the glory of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We're to operate under authority all the time. There's no such thing as any human outside of any kind of authority. There's always authority because God's created authority. It's built into the nature of God himself. This is why I always tell my sons, always ask. Not because I want to be a control freak, but because it is Jesus, the son, who set the example of asking the father in prayer. 
There is holy love and holy righteousness when we work together in unity and love on mission together. And there is something put on display when we ask and communicate to each other. When we communicate with each other. So, it's this human relational imitation of us. Asking, seeking, and knocking. That shows us this beautiful relationship between the Son and the Father. Jesus said also in John... I'm not going to ask for you. You can ask because the Father loves you too. Isn't <laughs> that awesome? So our prayer, our praying is one of the ways we put on display this Father-Son relationship and created order. Because the Son asked the Father. Isn't that beautiful? So that's application number one. We're going to try to speed through these. Here we go. Application number two. Fathers, have a purpose you're striving for that lines up with God's mission. And move your children to that mission. Have a purpose beyond vocation, beyond gaining things in this world. Let your mission line up with God's mission. And here you go. Let your children see you evangelize. God's mission is that people from all nations would come to know Jesus Christ. And one of the ways we practice that in our city is we make disciples. Fathers, let your children see you evangelize people. Let them see you engage with someone who doesn't know Christ. And teach them about domains. Teach them about vocation. Teach them to leverage their vocation for the glory of God in their city and around the world. Let them see you striving for something that has eternal purpose. And children, follow that example. Alright? Number three. Fathers, work to be the kind of authority our kids can and will run toward. Work to be that kind of authority that they can and will run toward. The love between a father and son is palpable in John. You can see it almost on every page. The father loving the son. The son loving the father. The father highlighting the son. The son submitting to the father. And it can be that way with our kids. Find that biblical balance between just discipline and lavish grace. Both are necessary. Fight to know God's mission and stay on it. Insist on it. With a velvet-covered hammer to not be hindered by Satan's advances. Do not let the enemy stop those advances. Keep the main thing the main thing. Know God and make Him known. Love God and love your neighbor as yourselves through the gospel work of the message of Jesus Christ. Insist on it. Number four. Fathers, bless your children. Fathers, bless your children at all appropriate stages with your seal of approval. Fathers, bless your children at all appropriate stages with your seal of approval. This is going to take a little creativeness on your part. And just quickly, and this could be an entire thing, probably not a sermon, but a teaching we could do outside of here. For the Jolly household, we've tried to create ways to put our seal of approval on our boys. We have four stages we've identified in raising our sons. Manhood, vocational pursuit, entrance into vocation, and marriage. And we've sought to celebrate those. We've all been to the manhood stage. We've all gotten to what we've identified as that stage of 13 in our household. And some of you have been part of that as we celebrated it with family and friends. And we've launched them into that phase of learning to be men. We just finished with graduation, class of 2020, Gabriel Jolly, where we've launched him now into vocational pursuit. We had a ceremony. We had family and friends present. We celebrated. And we try to put appropriate symbols on top of that. Something they carry with them. Something they have. For that first, it was a sword. They all have swords that they have in their rooms. The second one, I won't say publicly because it might offend some people. Boom, boom. 
And so whatever you know you need to do in your home that's appropriate for your child, you do. But we put symbols on top of that that celebrates and marks where they're moving. And it's intended to put our seal of approval on them. The Bible teaches us there's power in blessing and speaking blessing. There's a whole Desiring God booklet on blessing your children. And you can get it cheaply, two bucks from DesiringGod.org. Speaking biblical blessing over your children. We learn in Proverbs that life and death are in the power of the tongue. So we can speak blessing over our children that's powerful. And the best way I can illustrate that for you is how the Father did it for the Son. This is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. And the Lord gave His approval of Jesus' ministry at His baptism. Here's, here's how I can illustrate that for you and how we did it in our home. Last two Sundays ago, two Sundays, Jennifer? Two Sundays ago, Gabriel's graduation blessing, launching into this vocational pursuit time. This is the blessing I put over my son. It's Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And here's the words I spoke from that passage over Gabriel Jolly. Enter the field God has set before you in college and preparation for a, voca- for a vocational calling. May you find not merely a vocation. Rather, as you kick over clods of dirt in class and relationships and internships and the like, may you find the kingdom of God and be willing to sell all the treasures you accumulate to have that invaluable treasure of immeasurable worth in Jesus' kingdom so that you will hold your vocation in the right place. A temporary tool in your belt to stay in, advance, and fully enter the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's the seal of approval I put on my oldest son. So he feels from his father, I'm well pleased in you and you have a mission and we're on it together. So put your seal on your children, Father. Create those celebrations and ceremonies that launch them into phases and put your seal on them because that's what the Father, God, did to the Son, God. And that love relationship they had flourished and grew to our salvation. Almost done. Application number five. Fathers... Lean hard, here's our application to help take the weight off a little bit. Lean hard into the gospel and receive the already purchased pardon for our mess ups. Nobody is harder on me than me. And we're constantly asking, man, did I mess that up? And they're like, gosh, shut up, Dad. God, quit asking questions. God, God, God. Because... It's so easy to mess it up and it's so easy to let the condemnation of the world sit on your soul. If you're in tune with looking at the Father and going, I didn't do that well. Clearly messed that one up. Right? And I have to go back to the cross, which is the means to the mission of saving the nations. Because it's impossible for us to keep the law. So Jesus kept it for us and he goes to the cross by the Father's plan. He dies in our place for our sin. And he's buried and on the third day rises and he ascends to the right hand of the Father. So that he can save to the uttermost those who have faith in Jesus. So dads, when you feel the weight of failure, run to the cross. And there, find mercy and grace to help in a time of need. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is And how you practice that is be quick to ask for forgiveness with words and show transformed deeds. 
In doing that, we will model not only right behavior, but how to correct unrighteousness for our kids. So Jesus gave us the gospel, not just to forgive us of our sins, but practice in public how to receive it with each other and how to model for another generation to do it with their children. Finally, worship, dads, worship. Let your kids see you worship the Lord. Don't be too cool to not worship. Don't let yourself be out worshiped. That doesn't work for ladies, but for competitive men, that works a tad. And if it doesn't work on you, you have no competitive spirit, girl. And you're like, girl, my tail. So, no, I'm just kidding. Sort of, but not really. Don't let yourself be out worshiped. Here's the deal. We were made to worship the Lord. David sets the example for us as this Christ figure that points us to Jesus throughout the Psalms as he writes these beautiful songs of lament and praise and somewhere in between some of them where he dances before the Lord in some scenes and some scenes he is prostrate before the Lord. But David, the warrior, worships. So dads, don't be out-worshipped. The father and the son honor one another well in that relationship we read in John And so as we live that out in public worship, we worship the Lord. Our kids see us worship. That's how you'll pass on a generation that worships the Lord because they will follow our example. Jesus is constantly looking to the Father and he did what the Father was doing. And when our kids look at us, chances are they're going to do what we do, not what we say. And oh, how I have three living examples of that. And it's not all positive. So, worship well. And in time, our kids will worship well too. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray you help us to lean hard on the gospel. Lean hard into Jesus right now. We pray that you will help us to delight in this good news of your kingdom. So that as dads, we can put it on display in our relationships with our kids. Father, pray for these students that are here and the ones that are home. Whether they be kindergartners or juniors, or seniors, that you would drive deep by the ministry of the Holy Spirit into their soul to imitate Jesus the Son and not settle for any demonically influenced, weak imitation, but to put fully on display in their love and their mission and their submission, Jesus the Son. Help us fathers to be worth having that. Would you do that? Move us to worship. Help us in that to make much of Jesus this Father's Day. For all these dads, give us rest today and joy in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.